guys, get your worship guides out, and you can just follow along with me as we continue in our series entitled Stuck. Um, this is the third installment of the series, and I'm sad to say uh, this is the last one of the series. Everybody say, aww. You guys are so sincere. Anyway, if you're taking notes, this will be good for you. Um, Let me review fast, okay? So if you're new and you're just kind of catching up, you're part three, you're like, ugh, let me catch you up, okay? Basically, we believe that, that, that your spiritual... Your spiritual life is a journey. It's a process. It's not a program. It's not an event. It's not a one-time thing. It's many, many, many steps along the way. The Old Testament reveals this journey through uh, the life and times of Israel, the people of God. So Israel, um, when you want to parallel that, it's not a. Per- I, there's a big term. It's called replacement theology. But basically, uh, you can parallel that with the church today, the modern church today. So when we when we when we look through the lens of the New Testament, it's talking to us, the church, uh, the the believers. In the Old Testament, it's talking to Israel. There, there's a, there's a parallel between those two. So when you study Israel, you're going to see a lot of things that relate to us. So Israel was in Egypt. They were enslaved. Right? Everybody tracking with me? Israel, uh, Egypt was a type of world, okay? And so God uh, used Moses, a type of Christ, to pull Israel out of Egypt. They were enslaved. Jesus came to earth, uh, not a type of Christ, but the one and only. Jesus Christ came to earth to take us out of slavery to sin. So we had an eternal, we were, we were slaves to sin. We couldn't, Jesus, because when he comes into our life, we get a new nature, we get a new a default. We get a new deal. We get a new opportunity to start a life afresh because Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us the way. And if we follow that way, our life can be never the same. Amen? So, so there's a parallel between those two things. Moses, Jesus, they're not the same level, but they're just similar type, and the messaging is the same. So Israel gets out of Egypt, but then Israel gets into the wilderness, and, then in, and it, it's supposed to have a, it could have had a short journey, but God took them kind of on a different journey because he wanted to prepare them for the promised land. So as it's going through this journey, along this journey, there are all these different detours. And we highlighted uh, two of them over the last couple of weeks. One was at um, the bitter waters of Mara. We talked about the, the number one killer of relationships, bitterness. If you weren't there, you want to get that message or go online. Or if you subscribe to YouTube online, the, the message will be emailed to you automatically every single week. So it's a super easy thing to, to build your devotional life. Um, so we talked about that detour. Then that last week we talked about the manna from heaven story, the frosted flakes. Everybody remember frosted flakes? You'll never forget that as long as you live. Praise the Lord. Uh, and we all love, everybody went out and bought frosted flakes. I saw people at the grocery store, they're buying frosted flakes. I just got in my head, Pastor. I don't know how it happened. And so, so we talked about how God wants to give us this day our daily bread. That was all the way back in the New Testament. Jesus was talking, Old Testament, Jesus was talking about that in the New Testament. By the way, I'm not caffeinated. Uh, this is just how I am. And... Uh, so these different detours are there, rather than giving us a short, easy route, which would be what we would want. God, as a good parent, gives us this different route because he's testing us and developing us, maturing us as Christ followers. Everybody with me? Okay? And so this, there's this kind of process. He gives you this promise, and there's over 6,000 of them in the Bible, but then he's always going to take you through these different problems. Problems introduce you to yourself. Problems fashion you. Giants faced fashion you, develop you, mature you. And so he takes you through these different problems. And from those problems that you face successfully, you will learn certain principles. And these principles 
these wise um, applications will help you in life in every area of your life. When you successfully overcome and navigate these different detours. Is everybody with me? And as a result, then you experience the promised land. What is the promised land? The promised land isn't a perfect life. That's heaven. The promised land is an overcoming life in this broken, busted world we're living in right now. And we're called, as Christ followers, to be in it, not of it, but influence everyone in it. And so we're here actually to demonstrate, 1 Peter 2.9 says, we're called out of darkness into his glorious light to show forth the praises of him who called us out of that life into this new, into this new life. He's saying, I want you to be a salt and light in the earth. I want you to be a city set on a hill. I want you to be a model a believer, I want you to be an overcomer. What's an overcomer? It means you came over some stuff. Overcomers mean you, went, you, didn't, you, went, you didn't go around it. Overcomers mean you, you danced around the raindrops and never got hit. No, the rain came on the just and the unjust, but you kept on going. You kept on moving. You kept on overcoming. You kept on getting stronger. You were building spiritual muscle all along the way. That's what we've been talking about. Is everybody with me? But sometimes our problems that we face uh, they're not that big, and they knock us out. You're like, oh, it's big for me. Well, it's really not, honey. That fingernail was not enough <laughs> to get you upset. You know, we have first world problems. First world problems. I'm not going to tell you all the first world problems. I was watching videos last night laughing my butt off watching these first world problems that we have here in America today. You know, like I saw a guy and he's sitting in his chair, and this is me. I was, I was, I was laughing because I was like, that's me. I get home, I've got this power chair, right? It's, it's just this comfortable leather chair, and I, as soon as I get in it, you can, everybody knows when I'm in the chair because I pop this thing, and the legs come out, and my feet sometimes feel tight and swollen, and just like, oh, and I lean back, and I'm so comfortable, and I just see all that cushy world. And then the remote. <laughs> it's over there. It's like, it might as well be on an island without a boat. And I'm like, is anybody nearby? Hello? I'm texting people. Help me. I can't get the remote. See, we get taken out. We're lightweights, a lot of us, as Christ followers. We can't handle stuff. We're like so mad, even though it's been this way from the beginning. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Okay, so let's, let's get into this. So God has promised us that if we trust him, we can experience the promised land. But we got to go through trust school. And so the wilderness is this trust school thing that we're going through. And, and, and here's a line. Hopefully you'll remember this. But faith that isn't tested can never be trusted. God knows that. Without faith, you know, it's impossible to please God. And, and faith is always going to be, you know, confronted by these different tests. Oh, I believe. I believe. I believe. Listen, the difference between, listen, a Christian and a demon. Whoa. A Christian and a demon. A demon believes Jesus is the son of God. But a Christian puts their faith, their hope, and their trust in the son of God. Amen. See that? So you can't just say, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. Like that is nothing. It's going to have to be tested. 
And so this is like boot camp, everybody. We're in this series is like, you, you want to get over this stuck thing? We got to learn how to face these detours successfully. So today, kind of this final installment, we're going to talk about Israel. Israel's on, like fourth in inches from the promised land. They're on the tail end of this journey where they've traversed all these different detours. They're right up close to the promised land. They're, they're just getting ready to cross over into Connecticut. I mean, Canaan. And... Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and so this message hopefully will encourage you to take that next step, how we need to take that next step in order to be different uh, because Israel was only 11 miles from the promised land. Like they were close. After all that they've gone through, they're 11 miles from being there. But I think they looked at the promised land like the perfect land. They looked at it instead of like the land where they learn to overcome. In fact, they looked at the promised land and thought it was just going to be a cakewalk. And instead, they realized, no, oh, man, there's a lot of work to be done still. And that's sort of the big message for today. So in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 and following, um, basically, God uh, is saying to, 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 to Moses, hey, I want to show you that, that the promised land is what I said it was. I want you to select 12 men from the tribes of Israel, 12 different men from the different tribes of Israel, and I want you to send them in to case out uh, this promised land. Go check it out. So they, they travel the 11 miles and they go get in. So the Lord says to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each of the ancestors of the tribe. Send uh, one of each of its leaders. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak. I want you to check out what it's like. What are the conditions? Is it good or bad there? Is the cities, are they walled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So basically, go case this whole thing out. Now, when they went, these 12 guys from the different tribes, they went there for 40 days. Everybody say 40 days. 40 days. Now, I don't have time to do this this morning, but I'm just going to give you a little commercial. 40 in the Bible is a number of testing. God is preoccupied with numerology, numbers. He's a numbers guy. And I love that about God. And so, so 12 and 3 and 1 and 40 and 7, there's all these cool little things behind that. But 40 is the number for testing. So if, you're, if you were pregnant, ladies, hopefully just ladies, <laughs> I feel pregnant, Pastor. Um, I ate a lot. <laughs> but if, you feel, if you're pregnant, you're not pregnant 10 months, ladies. You're actually pregnant 40 weeks. It's, it's a testing it's travail. The Bible actually says that a woman is pregnant. Once she's delivered the baby, the travail was really bad. But once she's had the baby, she remembers the travail no more. It's kind of a cool thing. The test that you go through, you almost forget about it after you come through it. But you don't forget about it when you're going through it. Come on, ladies. You know, what, you know what's going on, right? We don't. You do. We say we're pregnant. Guys, we don't know what we're talking about. And all the ladies said, amen. Okay. <laughs> So 40, 40 is, a big, 40 is a big deal. When a, baby, uh, a baby's brain waves are activated, when a baby's 40 days old, starts having brain waves. Uh, you know, 40s all over the Bible. Uh, Moses w- had a supernatural fast for 40 days. Uh, Jesus had a supernatural fast for 40 days. Uh, you know, uh, Goliath talked trash to Israel for 40 days until David cut his head off. <laughs> the testing was open. <laughs> okay? So 40 is everywhere. So Moses goes up. He picks these 12. And, and one of the 12, or two of them, is Caleb and Joshua. So check this out. Um, 
They came back to Moses after this, and they, they kind of, here's the report. And the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And here's the report. It does flow with milkshakes and candy bars. Here's its fruit. So, so at this particular point in time in the journey, in the story, things are good, okay? The report is awesome. In other words, all that God had said all this whole time, it's true. It's totally true. At this point, everybody's kind of pumped. They're excited. Uh, and then, then God provides evidence, okay? And so it says, when they reached the valley of Eskel, it's this brook, they cut off a branch bearing a single, look at this, a single cluster of grapes, single cluster of grapes. Ladies, you go shopping all the time. Think about a single cluster of grapes. How much does it take to carry that? Two people? No. So two of them, men, had to carry a pole between them for this single cluster of grapes. How many know them and some big grapes? <laughs> <laughs> like, these are King Kong grapes, okay, everybody? All right, along with some pomegranates and some figs. So, like, I don't know what's going on over there, but they had, it's like everybody's pumped. It's got milkshakes and candy bars and white Zinfandel is for everyone. Everybody's getting nervous now because I'm talking about wine in church. Okay, everybody relax. All right, so the people are totally pumped. But in the middle of that excitement and joy, all of a sudden it totally drains their face. Everything begins to change. The music, mood, everything, it's like, dum, dum, dum. Piano, melancholic change, whatever. But in the middle of all that, they get a bad report. If you see a butt, you need to be careful. We should all avoid butts. That goes for boys and girls. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Uh, basically, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Basically, they, they go there and they, they, they focus on, they're like, the grapes are big, but the people are bigger. Like, they're carrying back grapes. One cluster between two men, it's incredible, but, uh, but they change their focus from the grapes to the people, and the people are huge, and the cities are huge. And not only do we, do we have one enemy, we have all of these ites. We have, like, ites everywhere. <laughs> enemy after enemy after enemy to Israel. It's a really, really bad report. And, and, and there's, there's just a, a huge problem as far as they're concerned. I'm really excited about the milk and honey and all that kind of stuff, but there's just one problem. Enemies are everywhere. And so suddenly the excitement is just buzzkill. It's totally buzzkill. And what they thought was going to be a cakewalk changed, like literally in a second. They realized they're going to have to fight, or there's going to be fight or flight. One of those two things is going to happen right here. And out of that, that environment, and this is the guy that I want you to walk away thinking about for a long time. This is a guy that I want to leave a mark on you. Out of that environment, that situation, that circumstance, this dude, this dude emerges from the camp. His name is Caleb. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. So in the middle of this giant, you know, grapes, but there's apparently giant apes, 
in the middle of all of this negativity and bad report and the mass and the crowd is overwhelmed, this one guy emerges with this different attitude and this different perspective. And he's like, no problem. We got this. In other words, he's like a little kid. You ever see these kids on the playground? Some of them are like little insecure. And then you got the other ones that kind of walk with their chest out and they're like three years old. You know why? You know why that's the case? Because their dad has programmed that little kid that I can take all the other people's dads. So he's walking around like, yeah, my dad can take care of your dad. <laughs> yeah, my dad can take care of your dad and your dad and your dad and your dad. So this is Caleb. Caleb was like, we got this. I don't know what this dude is and that dude and all these people. We got this. I have no concern about that. I think Caleb is thinking, by the way, first of all, God promised he promised us this land. So he's not going to take us this far to let us down or to quit on us or not back us up or to not support us. By the way, I think he thought, look what he's already done. He's provided a fire by night and a cloud by day. He parted the Red Sea for us, supernaturally devoured up all of our enemies. He turned bitter waters into sweet. He provided manna from heaven. My God. It's like when I was a kid, you know, we used to sing this. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And I was like four years old, and it was just kind of getting in. They were trying to get that into my system, get that into my spirit. Man, hey, listen, whatever you're going to face in life as a young man, be mindful of the fact that whatever it is, your God is great. Your God is bigger. Your God is strong. Your God is mighty. You can handle this. And so they're at this crossroad moment, this defining moment, and it's pivotal. It's pivotal for the people of God then, look, 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 and it's pivotal for you and me too. And so in verse 31, here's what happens. Look at this. But, huh, there's that but again. There ain't nothing good coming from that. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread, they spread among the Israelites a what? A bad report. And the land that they had explored. Now, so this bad report just starts going out. And I think you face, this is relevant to us, you face bad reports all the time. You think things are going okay, things are going okay, or something, boom, you get a phone call. You know, something happened at the job. Something happened to one of your kids at school. Some, somebody's going to need something special, you know, some assistance. You, you, got, you got some report that from the doctor, and they said this, and you thought it was going to be that. How many know we have bad, bad reports a lot? If you haven't had a bad report, you just got to turn on the nightly news, and you'll get yourself a bad report. Okay, because we live in a cursed, jacked up, messed up world right now. And so this is so pivotal. And these bad reports come and they come all the time. And if you've received a bad report, then I think this is relevant to you. Because right at that line of your destiny, you're always going to have these moments where, the, where the, this, this most inopportune time is an opportune time for the, for the enemy to come in. This opportunity for you to step into the promised land, to step into your dream, to experience the destiny God has for your life, right at that doorstep, there's always, always, always going to be bad reports. You and I have to learn uh, to anticipate those kind of things in our life. The devil always does that. Yet, while that is true, what you also, as a mature Christ follower, have to come to a conviction is God is over and over and over leading you and feeding you through that. He's always been faithful. Faithfulness and faith, again, just because it's tested doesn't mean God's not faithful. In fact, he's using those tests to demonstrate his faithfulness to you and I. And so this, this line, this defining moment for them is a warning for us. 
If you identify with this journey, if you understand that this is relevant to you, you need to also understand that whenever you step out in faith, you need to expect enemy opposition. You need to expect bad reports, opposition. You get a vision, God shows you something you're going to do. Listen, you're going to have people be like, no, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You know, my father's accomplished a lot of things in this life. He's, he's uh, at another church today with my mother and uh, our sister church. But I was just thinking, you know, I remember growing up and just saying, son, everything I've ever believed God for has always, always, always had tons of resistance and opposition. And, but, he, but it just made him stronger. Just made him stronger. You and I have to get stronger as believers. And so there's always going to be a negative voice. It's, the voice's in, it's, in intentions are to intimidate you. Look at, look at what's going on here. They said the land we explore devours those living in it. Just consumes. It's a black hole. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. I'll come back to that. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. So he's basically saying that we are so small. We are diminished. We cannot compare to the size of these giants. Now, the Nephilim were uh, a half-human, half-giant race. Basically, before the fall of man, there were, there, were this, there were the giants that came. And there were angels, actually, fallen angels that had relations with humanity. They formed these giants. It's a long story. You can believe it or not. It's fine. I don't care. But basically, the lineage of that, you'll find out, is, is that the people that came from that lineage, they're like somewhere between seven and nine feet plus tall. So that's where you get Goliath, for example. He was a descendant of the sons of Anak or the Nephilim. That's where you get LeBron James. He was a descendant. <laughs> okay? So, there you go. They're all just giants, okay? So, uh, but basically, the, the, this messaging, it just, it just mounts. That's what the devil does. He mounts an assault against your faith. Bad reports, incredible, incredulous circumstances. Let's just throw some things that just make it look so big, it literally blinds your faith. Literally just blind your faith. And in Numbers chapter 14, verse 2, here's the common response of a weak and immature people. And the Israelites, what did they do? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the leaders. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Listen, if you've been here for part of this series or if you've ever read the Old Testament, have we heard this before? It's like Groundhog Day. It keeps happening. Is this on repeat? Is this whole thing on repeat? Like, what's happening? This just keeps over and over and over again. Rear view mirror living uh, Israelites. And I think we're like that too. And God yet in through those circumstances is saying to you and saying to me, will you trust me? Will you trust me? They're on the doorstep of, of their dreams coming to reality, the doorstep of freedom. And they're saying, we'd rather have slavery than be slaughtered because of the way they looked at it. We'd rather go back to Egypt. I'd rather, I, I don't even, I don't, that's what Christians do today. I'd rather not even serve God anymore. Just forget it. You know, I had a few problems in a church. This is what happens. We're, 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 we're a church for people to get healed and healthy. And, and please don't misinterpret what I'm getting ready to say. But we've got all kinds of people from different denominations, different backgrounds. You know, uh, my, our Catholic brothers and sisters, when they come here, they call themselves recovering Catholics. And uh, that's funny. I don't care what you say. But, uh, but, but people come in from... But basically what happens is people get wounded and get hurt. And they just, you know, 
thankfully, they're here recovering, but some people never come back to God. They just give up. Like, that's part of life. There's going to be some problems. Don't give up on God. Don't turn your back on God just because some issues happen. And so in the middle of this, the enemy is just assaulting them and fear is gripping them. And that's what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to magnify the, the problem. Whenever you are about to make a significant change in your life, it's easy to forget God's faithfulness and magnify your fears. He's flipping faith and, and, the, and through the lens of magnification and making the problem bigger instead of God bigger. So you need to flip that magnifying glass around. And God's trying to flip it around, and the enemy's trying to flip it around on you. And he's trying to convince you, and this is what happens in the church today, and I'm not going to do this as your pastor, that Christianity is just like, it's just like a playground. It's just, no, it's not. It, it, Christianity is not just like you get saved, and then it's, oh, happy day, oh, happy day. No, it's, gonna be, it's not going to be your best life now. Okay, nothing against Joel Osteen, everybody relax. Okay, I can't smile like him, I'm sorry. Uh, but there's going to be some problems. Everybody say there's going to be some problems. Don't be surprised by them. So what is, what is instant, this is the only part about really Christianity that's instant, is what happens in your heart. See, salvation is an instantaneous miracle. When somebody just decides to transfer trust for me, for my life, for my salvation, for paying for my sins, for fixing me and all that, and says, no, I can't do that. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. I can't save, rescue myself, restore myself back to God, reconcile myself back to God. I can't do any of that. I recognize, as soon as you do that, there's a heart change. It's in an instant. People are saved in a second, in a moment, in an instant, but their life is changed. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a lifestyle. It's going to take some time to build your character. And God is a good parent. He's not just going to take you from point A to point B the way you want it. No, he's going to take you through some things because he is a good parent. And he's not developing a microwave uh, um, ministry or relationship or person or child of God. He's developing a mature believer who knows how to overcome in Jesus' name. Amen? And so we, we actually designed our whole church around that process, not just from the pulpit teaching you this, but literally that's why we do next steps. That's why you should go through that. That's why we do small groups and get you in community so we can help you on that journey, truly disciple you through these detours and experiences in your life. Because the Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battleground. And you just need to face that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if, if I'm bursting your bubble, but I'd rather burst your bubble now than you get beat up out there over and over and over again. So when this cross moment came, they had to flip the magnifying glass and realize it's not the size of the detour, the giant, the Nephilims in your life. No, it's the size of your God. And we need to, we, we might have a giant, but don't ever let that change the magnification of the view of your God. So I can see that giant, but I see a great big God behind that. And therefore, I am not worried or concerned. So I can come out of the crowd that believes what everybody else thinks, and I can be Caleb and say, no, 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 we can do this. We can take this enemy. Amen? Because God's never going to force you to go into that promised land. He's going to give you a choice. And at that crossroad, you're going to have this, this, this moment where you can choose just like Israel did. And this happens all the time. Some of you just came out of this and failed or overcame. Some of you are in it right now and going to have to make a decision. And I promise you, some of you are getting ready to go into it. And, and you're going to be at this detour where you're going to have to decide, am I going to trust God? Or am I going to fear? Am I going to let that gripping fear? Am I going to receive that bad report? 
Am I going to accept what man says, opinions say, circumstances say, my finite windshield can see? Listen, I can only see just so much, you know? I, I don't have a full 360-degree view. I've got a very narrow view on what I can actually take in. I cannot see over here. I cannot see back here. God sees all. And so am I going to just trust what I can see, or am I going to trust an omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God for all my circumstances and situations? Amen? So fear of faith. Which are you going to choose? Because you're going to get these reports. And you're going to have a report and it's going to say, you can't have children. You're, you're infertile. I'm sorry to tell you this. The doctor's going to come to you and tell you that. I don't believe you can have children. Well, are you going to believe that report? Where God created you in, his, in your mother's womb and he knit you together? Did he knit you together so you couldn't do that? Or can you believe God could actually heal your body and fix that? Listen, I, just as an encouragement, my, my son brought a, a pastor friend and his wife to my wife and I. We were at a conference, and, and, and they were saying, you know, this, this may blow some of your minds from whatever your ba- background is, but we believe in a healing God. And, and this couple was told they couldn't have children. And they were, they were devastated initially. But God began to just build them back up again. They began to seek God and, and, and hold on to his promises. And, and, and he, this friend of his was talking to my son and, and my daughter-in-law. And they said, you should have my, my parents pray for you. They pray for a lot of people who are infertile. And, and so in the middle of a meeting, we went right over and we laid hands. My wife and I, both of us, gave him a double dose of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. And we prayed and we just asked God. And we, just, we spoke blessing and promises and just miracles over their body. Anyway, like three months later, they're having twins. Come on, somebody. Somebody. <laughs> I don't know if they wanted twins, but anyway, I think they wanted a baby. I didn't think they wanted a family. So, but, but so, so we got to get back to believing God again, trusting God. What is your dream? Is it to start a family? Well, then you, 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 you have these things, these promises. The, the faith is here. That is not denying how you feel. I'm not trying to get people to deny that. Faith is here, but I'm not trying to get you to deny the facts that the doctor said X, Y, or Z. I'm just trying to get you to exalt what God says, that that's the ultimate reality is what God says. And when we start to exalt what God says, then the realities we're facing here will begin to align themselves with what God says more and more and more. God is trying to teach us in trust school the tests the detours of life, how to trust him so we can see his provision, so we can see his miraculous intervention in our life. But as Christians, sometimes we're afraid to step out, we are gripped with fear, and we're paralyzed in the process. And that's because we don't see sometimes that fear and faith have the same definition, but there's a completely different decision. Fear and faith have the same definition But what makes them different is the decision you make when you face these detours, when you face these tests, when you face these problems. The definition is the same. Look, fear and faith are believing in what hasn't happened yet will come true. Fear is simply faith in failure. Fear is is the doctor says X, Y, or Z to you, and you take the doctor at his word. I'm I'm going to the doctor today. People say things like this. I'm going to the doctor today, and I just know uh, there's going to be something wrong. That's fear or faith in reverse or faith in failure. Has, has, Has something wrong happened yet? No, but I just know it. I just know it. Every time I go to the doctor, it just happens. Well, the power of life and death is in your tongue. Stop saying those kind of things. People are sick today. I got a cold today, and and it's Thursday. I'm going to call in sick for the whole week. What? (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm going to be sick Monday, too, Tuesday, probably Wednesday, too. 
Like, I'm amazed. These are Christians. Christians say these kind of things. And, and, and we wonder. We wonder why we struggle. We wonder why we're not overcoming certain tests because we are giving the enemy permission to attack us, to possess us, to, to own us, to dominate us, to knock us down. The enemy goes out around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means you may or may not give him permission by what you say, what you believe, and what you respond to. So I, I, the, doctor, the doctor said it's likely cancer. It's likely cancer. Well, whose report are you going to believe? The Bible tells us we shall believe the report of the Lord. So the doctor told me, told me you know, the serious things about my health. What am I going to believe? Am I going to believe this is the end? I can remember the doctor pulling up his chair, and he comes in right up into my face. Like he was in my buffer zone. You know what I'm saying? Like awkward. You need a Tic Tac, bro. That's what I was thinking. Then I got emotional after that. But he said, he said to me, listen, listen, Derek, you have cancer. You need to think about your family. You need to take this drug, this, 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 this chemotherapy. I said, how long? He said, as long as it takes, indefinitely. And I said, sir, I am thinking about my family. So I'm, no, I'm not going to do that, you know? And my wife and I, we got in the car, and, and be honest with you, I got in the car and I cried. I was, I was discouraged because this bad report was coming, and he's like, think about your family, and you, this is serious. And you need to, he was like trying to tear me down. You know, and then we just thought we just got there and prayed. It's like, this is not God's will. I'm called to God. If I'm on that drug, I can't do this anymore. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'd rather die doing this than give into what he's saying and not be able to do what I'm called to do. That's better for my family and the family of God. Way better. Amen. So, so I chose to believe God. And you know what? Other solutions surfaced right after that. I'm talking almost right after that. We get home. I get a call from one of my best friends in Florida. He says, he says Derek, I need, I need you to trust me. I need you to come down here to Florida. I want you to talk to a doctor. You don't have to be on that drug. There's a better thing for you to do. And I've been doing that for the last four years. And I had a clean bill of health. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, I don't say that to brag. I'm just bragging on God. That's all I'm trying to say. Amen. I'm face, when you're facing a giant in your path, do not let that giant block the view of your God because he is big. Amen? So i got to keep going. So anyway, here's what we got to have. we got to have a Caleb spirit. I am so far behind. Praise the Lord. So this is what happened. Two guys out of all these guys get it. Joshua, son of Nun. Apparently, there's nobody else in the family, son of Nun. Anyway, Caleb, that's just how I read things. I'm like, you're the son of who? And then there's Caleb, son of Jephunneh. <laughs> who are among those who had explored the land tour? So, so they hear this report and they're free, and these guys are giving this bad report. And Joshua's son of Nun and Caleb go, No! And they just start ripping their clothes off. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. They try to turn this whole thing around by ripping their clothes off. If you're trying to win an argument, people, don't tear your clothes off. Okay? <laughs> and so they t- say to the assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. You're missing it. If the Lord is pleased with us, and he is, but not when we're doing what we're doing right now, he will lead us like he has before into that land, a land flowing with milkshakes and candy, and he'll give it to us. So don't rebel against the Lord. Look at how not believing in God is viewed by Caleb and Joshua. Rebellion. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. See, Israel chose fear, but Caleb and Joshua chose faith. I love this spirit. And this is the part I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to teach, I should say. It's caught. It's not taught. You need a Caleb spirit that believes God and trusts God. 
and holds fast to what God says. You need to, my dad can take your dad. You need to listen to the right voices. My, my, my middle daughter, precious daughter, and she's, she's a great athlete and she's good at a lot of things. But I can remember when she was so afraid to swim in a pool. And, and we'd take her over to our neighbor's house who had a pool, and she'd, she'd be on the edge of that thing. And we'd say, put your arms over your head. And she'd put her arms over her head like this. And then we'd say, okay, now I want you to dive into the pool. And me and Stacey would be in the pool treading water. For like 17 years, we're treading water, <laughs> waiting for her to get in the pool. The promise, the promise is here. It's good. It's fun. You're going to be so excited. It's awesome. Once you do it once, it's amazing. Trust me, we've done it before. You're going to be good. Everything I'm telling you is true. And she's like, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. Focus on me. Listen to my voice. And she'd say, but the other voices are louder. <laughs> we'll turn them down. So then I'd get out of the pool and Stacey's in, and I'm like, honey, and I'd be behind her. Stacey's like, no, no, no. I'm, like, I'm gonna kick her in the pool. <laughs> See, some of you are like that. You're listening to the wrong voices. You need to turn those voices down. They are viral voices. And you need to turn them down because whatever you focus on, I was trying to tell Madison, Stacey's trying to tell Madison, focus on me. She's focusing on the water she'd never been in before. She's focused on their cold, and I might hit my head, and I watch something on YouTube where somebody snapped their neck, and I'm like, whatever, whatever, whatever. See, whatever you focus on, that's the fruit you're going to get. Or the, your fruitfulness and your fruit is determined by your focus. Faith and focus are critical. You've got to have the right focus to have the right fruitfulness in your life. You could be at the doorstep, fourth and one, getting ready for a touchdown in the kingdom of God, but no. You're just, you're going to go ahead and listen to those old voices. I talked to a guy and he's telling me, four weeks sober, Pastor Derek, gave my life to Jesus four weeks sober, so awesome. But it's tough, man, it's tough. I go, what, what, what happened? He goes, yeah, I, I get with my friends and I start telling them about it. And they're like, hey, yeah, come out and have a beer with us. I go, what'd you do? He goes, I went and had a beer with them. I go, what happened? He goes, I went downhill. I go, dude, you're listening to the wrong voices. I talked to a girl, and she came out of a relationship, and, she, and, and she's just like gave her life to Christ, and she decided of her own volition that God's way is a better way, and she decides I'm going to live a single, biblically kind of pure life, and I'm not going to do it the way all my friends have done it their whole life. And, and I, I just, you know, it's, it's not even just because the Bible says so, but my life's been complicated by living the way the world does in relationships. And so I'm just going to be sexually pure. I'm, I'm not going to, if I date, I'm not going to go that way anymore. And her girlfriends are like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? You're going to be single in a studio apartment with nine cats the rest of your life. And she goes home that night and she just can hear those voices. You're going to be alone. You're just going to be alone if you live like that. You're going to be alone like that. See, you need to turn those viral voices down. And turn, you are fourth in inches from a man of God that he will bring into your life. You're fourth and inches from a touchdown in your job. You're fourth and inches from a breakthrough in your, in your spirit, man. You're fourth and inches from a financial breakthrough, the family that you've always wanted to have, but you're ready to turn it, throw it away because you're going to listen to the voices that are viral. You need to turn up the thing of God, the voices of God, because if it's fear-based, if it's shame-based, if it's intimidation, then it is the spirit of Satan and not the spirit of God. And so you need to know, you need to, that's how you discern it and eliminate it immediately. Amen? So we got to live out of this, this faith zone. And so it's a different spirit. Look what Caleb had. Caleb had this different spirit. But because my servant Caleb has a what? Come on, say it. A different spirit. Everybody say what? A different spirit. That's what you need to have as a Christ follower. 
Don't be like everybody else. This is what it means to be different. Being different doesn't mean carry a Bible that's six feet wide, you know, and you just pray in tongues on an elevator. And, you, and you, you just listen to old hymns, you know, at the gym. I don't know. People, I don't know what your view is of being different is. Being different, it's a spirit. It's a trust God, believes God. It's, it's you, you realize that God can do something in and through you. And you follow him wholeheartedly. And, you, and as a result, I'll bring that person into the land. And, and all his descendants will inherit it. So here's the characteristics of a different spirit. Here's the first one. They trust God wholeheartedly wholeheartedly. Enough of this. Some of you are out there half-heartedly following God. How long are you going to do that? Can I just tell you something? If you're going to live as half-hearted followers of God, you're going to spend a lot of time in the wilderness. It's going to be painful. I promise you. You might have some temporary, you know, everything's going pretty good. Listen, listen, listen. This is what I feel the Spirit of God saying to some of you. Maybe you're living half-hearted. You're not fully surrendered. You are on temporary momentum. You are hydroplaning. It looks like you're going forward and everything's going okay, but you are on a slippery, slippery line right there. Because all of a sudden, this happens all the time. People think they're okay without fully surrendered to God and fully committed to God. Boom, and then something happens. They crash against the guardrail that they weren't ready for, and all of a sudden, they're like, oh, oh, help me, help me, help me. 911, everybody call 911. And then they don't have a safety net. They don't have the relationships. They don't have the faith and constitutions to be able to handle the situations that are there because they thought they were okay without God. Jesus taking 100% of the wheel, fully surrendered to God. God wants you to be wholeheartedly committed to him. And here's another reason to be wholeheartedly committed to, to, to God. Because other people are watching you. And it's not just about you. I realize that as a, as a, as a pastor, there's a lot of eyes coming this way. You know? And, but you have eyes on you too. I was talking to one of my elders and, and one of our board of directors, and he's a godly man. He's going through a test right now, and I called him to encourage him, and he ended up encouraging me. And he goes, it's tough right now, but I believe God. I'm trusting God. He goes, you know what, Pastor Derek? One of the other reasons I'm trusting God right now is because my kids are watching me right now to see how I handle this trial. And I'll, he basically said, I'll be darned if I'm not going to trust God wholeheartedly through this trial. Oh, man, I tell you what, that's powerful. That's powerful. Amen. That's a different spirit. Here's another reason that we have a different spirit is because of the evidence. They don't focus on the giants. They focus on the grapes. See, people with a different spirit aren't looking at the giants that are in the land. They're looking at the milk and the honey and the pomegranates and the figs. There's thankfulness. There's gratefulness. They're focusing on the faithfulness of God. They're focusing on the evidence of God. God has showed himself time and time again. And the people that overcome the uh, the next trial that's coming up is because of the last time God helped them come over. David rehearsed his victories when he was going before Saul and he just said, this is what happened, the lion and the bear. See, some of you, you need to take a hard look at what God's done with in your life before and remind yourself of the evidence of God and what he's done. They said in Numbers chapter 13, when they went into the land, Caleb and Joshua saw, no, hey, it does flow with milk and honey. That was the evidence. Here's the next one. They are different by what? Trusting in what? The power of God. Ultimately, at the end of the day, People, as Christians, listen, as Christians, it's not just going to be you can get it all here in your head, in this little finite mind, this little box that you like to put God inside of. God is the God of the impossible, whether you believe it or not. 
And the people that believe it are going to experience the God of the impossible. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, that means trusting in the power of God, you can't please him. And you actually are created as a Christ follower to bring glory to God and, and to glorify God through your life, to ultimately please God. And the way you do that is by believing in the power of God. Some of you, your faith is diminished. You have a hard time. You want to believe God for cancer? Then you need to start believing God that he can heal your cold and the sniffle in your nose. You need to start believing God for some of those small things so you can believe God for the great things. Include him in every aspect of your life along your daily journey. Amen? But here's how it ends for, for the Israelites. Basically, it's sad. I wish I could say Caleb has this speech and he comes in and Joshua comes in and, and, and they're like, you know what, Caleb and Joshua are right, but that's not what happened. Super sad. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. How many know that didn't go good? <laughs> How'd that speech go? Yeah, we want to stone them. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm not talking get stoned. That, you know, I'm talking about stoning. You're like, well, at least they got some relief. And no, it's not that. This is different. It says, then the glory of the Lord appeared. And, and this goes on, and I can't unpack this all, but basically, God had enough. This is the part that's hard to teach. It's hard to even tell you. But you ever, you ever get to a place with your parent, and they're just like, there's grace, 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 and all of a sudden, that's it. Discipline's coming. No more. I told you once, I told you twice, go to your room. That's it. There's no more chances. That's what happened. God shows up on the scene. He goes, that's, I've had enough. I've had enough. This grumbling, this complaining, unfortunately, there's going to have to be discipline. There's going to have to be discipline. And sometimes if we won't learn what God is trying to teach us, if we won't receive what he's trying to show us, then we're going to have to hurt to learn it. Some people hurt enough, they have to change. And that's what was going on here. So God intervenes, and the glory of the Lord appears, and he's fed up, and Moses and God have a conversation because they chose fear over faith, and as a result, they're right on the doorstep, dead end. They don't get, they don't get to go in. It's a dead end. You can't, they're right on the doorstep of the dream and they can't go in. And in Numbers chapter 14, it basically says, I, I, I was listening to you. God saying, I was listening to all the things you were saying. And, and, and how long are they going to be wicked and, and grumble and complain? And I heard all these things that the Israelites are saying. So tell them this, as surely as I live, I will do to them the very thing I heard you say. Look at this. This right here I heard you say is faith in reverse. God didn't do it to them. They spoke it over themselves. The power of life and death was in their tongues. They kept saying, you know what? They grumble. They complain. We might as well die here. We might as well live in the wilderness or go back to Egypt. Okay, okay. So God says, okay, I relent. So anyone 21 years or older counted in the census who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore or uplifted to you that made that oath to you, except the one who had that right spirit, Caleb and, and Joshua. So this is so un Unbelievable. That, 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 that you could be right there and then you can't enter. I, I just want you to know, I, I'm, a, I'm your pastor. I'm trying to say to you, listen, some of you guys, God wants to take you into that next level. But at some point, at some point, you, you're going to have to receive discipline or judgment. Not judgment the way you look at it, but judgment. You, you, you brought this upon yourselves. And so if you choose this half-hearted versus this whole-hearted thing, you're not going to be able to enter the promised land. And so for, for every day that they complained, there was a year of instruction. And so a whole generation actually dies at the doorstep of the promised land. And God raises up another generation to, to go into the promised land. And because God had to have a people... God was raising up a peculiar people that had a different spirit. And so out of 600,000 people, only two of them got in. 
God's trying to teach us how to finish strong and not fall short. And so rather than just continue to do like they were donuts in the desert over and over and over again, we've got to learn to trust him. And in every generation, there's always going to be, there's going to be people who are, who are these cowards. I'm going to go ahead here. Are these Caleb's? You have to decide. Which are you going to be? Are you going to have that different spirit? Or are you going to be that coward that just says, ah, I give up. I, I, I look at those. I'm going to look at the giants. I'm not going to look at the grapes. This different spirit is brand new. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to be a Caleb. At the end of this particular story, it kind of skips ahead. And in fact, in Joshua chapter 14, this Caleb story, uh, Joshua 14, Caleb uh, is now 85 years old. So back when he was saying those things and he's renting his clothes and he's trying to encourage the people, he was 40 years old. Now this next scripture I'm going to show you, he's 85 years old. Look what he says. He's gathered all these kids around, and I think he's got a cane in his hand. He's like, come on, come listen to Grandpa. Come listen to Grandpa, everybody. Come on around. He's probably famous. Everybody knows Caleb. Caleb, come around. He's like, come on, everybody. Come on, come on, gather around here, right here, here. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. <laughs> that pretty good? And I brought him a report according to my findings. Well, let's see. Well, hey, let's do this. To my convictions. Now listen, I think this is important because he had convictions. Where were these convictions forged? In the testing? No. His convictions were developed in his devotional life. His convictions were developed in a small group of strong believers. His convictions by hearing the word. by Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But they were demonstrated when he came to the detours and the tests. So some of you are facing tests and detours in your life. This is where you develop those convictions in church, in your small group, in next steps, on retreats, and the different things that are part of this local body, so that when you go out into the world, the adversity, the anvil of adversity reveals your character. So he had my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who didn't have those convictions went up with me and made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, I, however... Follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for these 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. Son, go get me my teeth. (laughs) I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to the battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country. He's telling all these kids, getting them all fired up. They're like, whoa, Grandpa's really excited that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But, I see the but, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. This was Caleb at 85 years old, everybody. 85, still kicking butt and taking names. So here's my my takeaway for you guys. Write this down in your notes. I encourage you believers who live in the promised land that you don't quit. Don't quit. Bible says pray, never give up. That you never, never retire. Retirement is not in the Bible as a Christ follower. I'm not telling you you can't leave your job, but you never stop serving God wholeheartedly. And you always stay on fire. A different spirit God wants you to have. A Caleb spirit. Can I have an amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Did you get something out of that, everybody? Praise the Lord. putting your notes away, your worship guides away, if you could just uh, be very still, really no moving around except for leadership that's doing their thing. And would you just close your eyes for me? Would you do that? And I just want you to look. We close our eyes at Connect, so not just so that we don't look around, but so we look at our own heart. 
So I just want you to look at your own heart through the lens of this message, okay? Everybody, please, honor the people around you. I'm trying to give them that privacy too. Every eye closed. Thank you. So three kind of lanes I'm looking through here. One, if we're all on a spiritual journey, some of you are realizing that now for the first time though. Like, in order to be successful in this life, you're realizing, I got to get out of Egypt. I got to get out of this world life. And you can't do that by yourself. Jesus said this. I didn't. Apart from me, you can't, you can't do it. John chapter 15. And so I'm saying to you, sir, man, boy, or girl, if you're here today, God wants to not just make you wholehearted followers of him, but first you have to give your heart to him. If you've never given your heart to Jesus... He, he doesn't force himself on you. He gave you this spiritual muscle, your will, where you say yes or no to God. You have this life, whatever it is, 70 years, three score and 10 years, whatever it is, 80 years, 90 years, 40 years, whatever you got, you have this life to make that decision by choice. One day, you won't have a choice. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have a choice today to make that. If that's something you're willing to do today, I just want you as a sign, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a minute. I want you to raise your hand and say, I want to make that choice today. Go ahead, go ahead. God bless you. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, these ladies up front, thank you. Is there anybody else I'm missing? Yes, sir. Yes. Anybody else? Look at me good so I can see you. Praise the Lord. I see you back there, sir. That's awesome. I see you all the way back there. That's awesome. God bless you. God bless you, uh, ma'am, just raising your hand. I see that. Thank you. That's great. You can put your hands down, everybody. And I'm going to pray for this next group, with this first group. The next group is, you're here today, and you made that decision. Like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he paid for my sins. I, I believe when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because of that confession and that belief. But I'm half-hearted. If I'm really honest, I, I don't have that Caleb spirit. Maybe I lost it, and I need to get it back. Maybe I never had it. I am not wholeheartedly serving God. I don't have that different spirit. That's why you're not making a difference, by the way, and God wants you to make a difference, but you have to fully surrender to God. If you're not totally surrendered to God, and today's the day you feel like God is poking you, probing you, inviting you, drawing you in, and you want to be a wholehearted follower of God with a different spirit, I want you to raise your hand and say yes to God right now. God bless you all over the room. Come on, come on. Yes, Lord. Yes. Be courageous. God sees your hand, and so do I. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hand out. So let's pray this prayer together. Everybody in this church, let's say this prayer together. This is this, is this first group, but let's join them. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I surrender my heart to you. I thank you that you give me a new heart. You replace a heart of stone, the Bible says, for a heart of flesh. You make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm coming out of the world, but I can't do it without Jesus as the center of my life. Let me pray for you, Father, for every person who prayed that prayer. Seal that in their heart. They know that they're a Christ follower, not because of what they have done, but because of what Jesus did. And Father, I pray for every other person in this room that says, I want to be a wholehearted follower of God, a fully devoted follower of God, a Caleb spirit. Lord, come upon this church where we believe God again. We trust in the evidence of God. We are wholehearted followers of God. And we believe still today in a crazy nuts world in the power of God. And I pray the power of God manifest in this different group of people, Lord. Not just in here where we're maturing and growing and being taught, but as we leave into the highways and byways in Jesus name and everybody said amen come on let's give the Lord the biggest praise we can for his word amen God bless you guys